The Dental Download Podcast is your source for insight into dental school, conversations with dentists, specialists, and leaders in the industry. With new episodes every Monday morning, I'm your host, Haley Schultz. Let's get into this week's episode. Hello, everyone. Happy Monday. Welcome back to another episode. So today we are joined with a guest. We are joined with Colin Carr, the CEO of Carr Healthcare Real Estate. So as the name implies, they specialize in healthcare real estate for healthcare providers. And we're going to talk about everything from buying, leasing, negotiating, what to do on our end as young dentists, as even dental students, what can we be thinking about, what are some mistakes to avoid. All of that's going to be covered in this week's episode. As usual, I just want to do a quick little intro as to what's going on in my life over in dental school right now. So I just finished my first year of dental school a couple weeks ago, and I'm starting my second year as a D2 student in dental school today, actually, when you're listening to this episode. I just spent the last week off relaxing at home, and I also went to the Smoky Mountains National Park and Nashville for a few days to spend some time in nature, have fun and unwind, but now I'm back in Ann Arbor ready for another semester of classes. We unfortunately only had one week off between first year and second year, so this semester is our D2 summer term, which is our first term of our second year, and that's going to run until I believe the 26th, maybe the 17th around there in August, so it's pretty much all summer that we're going to be in classes. We have about 19 credits, which is less than usual, which is awesome. We're usually in between 25 to almost 30 credits every semester so this summer term should be a little less stressful we also don't have any simulation lab classes this semester because we're focusing more on clinical activities to get us ready to be assisting in clinic and learning more about digital dentistry taking impressions both with Alginet and with digital dentistry. We're learning about implants a little bit more. We're learning more about prosthodontics, assisting in the grad pros clinic, which should be interesting. And then a lot of assisting in general in the normal patient clinic, which is where the D3s and D4s are acting as the care providers. And we'll be doing a lot of assisting there as well as the radiology clinic. So there will still be a lot of clinical exposure, but not so much drilling and filling this semester. We'll get back into SimLab in the fall of our D2 year doing more of prosthodontic style dentistry. So rather than preps and restorations like we did first year, we're going to be focusing more on dentures, crowns, bridges. But all of that is to come for now. It's just a very light clinical summer, I would say. And then our usual systems classes, and we have some behavioral science and biomaterials. I'll explain more of that in an upcoming episode, kind of giving a rundown of how D2 year is looking and also giving some expectations for D2 year. The plan is to post that episode in two weeks, so on May 17th. Next week, you can look forward to an episode with another dental student. So Stephen Ray is a dental student in Tennessee, and he also has a podcast called Teeth Time. So we're going to do kind of a podcast collab. He's a guest on my show. I'm a guest on his show. So you can look forward to that next week. But for now, let's get right into the episode with Colin Carr. Okay, hi everyone. So we do have another guest here today and I'm going to let them introduce themselves. Well, appreciate being here, Haley. Thank you. My name is Colin Carr and I am the CEO and founder of Carr. We are a commercial real estate firm that exclusively represents healthcare tenants and buyers. 
We don't work for any landlords, any sellers. We only work on the tenant and buyer side and we only work for healthcare providers. So extremely niched. Uh, we started in Colorado in 2009 and started in, uh, started going into other states in 2015. And today we are in uh, about 45 states. We represent thousands of healthcare providers coast to coast. And our entire focus is helping healthcare providers maximize their profitability through real estate. That's awesome. I'm really excited to have you here today. And I definitely have some more general questions about what you do, but also some questions that might really pertain to our listeners. So most of our audience is dental students and even some pre-dental students. So what are some things that dental students should be doing or thinking about if they want to buy a practice when they graduate? Well, there's a lot of things on the, the preparation side. If you're looking at buying a practice or doing a startup or becoming an associate and then later one day taking over a practice. But when it pertains to real estate, it's important to realize that there is a significant amount of money on the line. And I realize that there's more to be addressed clinically and, and in the, the actual healthcare side of dental school that it's very challenging to get to a lot of the practice management areas such as real estate, but real estate typically is the second highest expense behind payroll for a practice. You can have different seasons where maybe you invest in, you know, uh, more expensive equipment or technology. But if you look at a dentist career over maybe a 25, 30 year period of time, real estate and your facilities costs typically takes the position of the second highest expense behind payroll. The reality is payroll's not that negotiable. If you don't pay people what they deserve or what they deserve, they're going to go somewhere that will pay them. And anyone that's ever had to rehire and retrain someone to do it the way you want, you realize it's a lot cheaper and a lot more efficient just to pay people what they're worth. So payroll is not very negotiable. Real estate's a hundred percent negotiable. And the difference between a properly negotiated transaction or a poorly negotiated transaction it can literally be tens to hundreds of thousands of dollars over a five or 10 year period of time. Most people do not have any understanding of the, of the opportunity to capitalize on a deal at that level. And I think a lot of people, they just assume that, that it's going to be competitive. They are going to assume that, you know, if I was going to buy some, uh, if I was going to buy a, a hand instrument, you know, there's four or five people selling hand instruments that are similar. They're going to be priced similarly real estate's completely different. You could be paying 4,000 a month in rent, 10,000 a month in rent. You could buy a building for a half million. You could buy a building for $2 million. There's a lot of variables there. So uh, first and foremost is just realize it's a very expensive transaction. You only get one crack at it every five to 10 years or once in your entire career if you purchase. So you want to make sure that you are doing the best you can with what you have and you want to capitalize on every transaction. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And that kind of gave me an idea for a follow-up question. So you're thinking about this and there's definitely having a strong team on your side to do that negotiating for you is really important. But at what point, I guess, if you know that you want to buy either real estate for a startup or something, at what point would you get in contact with a real estate company like you? Would that be before you've started to secure your loans and financing, or do you want to have all of that together and then come to the company? Uh, I would recommend that you you get in touch with someone who specializes in healthcare real estate at the very beginning of your process. Two of the first people that you want to get in touch with, you, you just mentioned the other one, it, it is a lender. You want to make sure that you understand what you're qualified to purchase or what you're qualified to spend on a startup. 
you don't want to invest a lot of time going after a practice or or a property or an opportunity if you can't secure financing you're just wasting your time at that point but equally important you don't want to start looking into properties or looking at practices without having someone on your side for real estate because they're going to help direct you guide you tell you what to avoid and you can you can eliminate a lot of uh, issues that come up at the beginning of a transaction by not making common mistakes that healthcare providers typically do when they take the do-it-yourself approach. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I think in the end, you definitely probably save a lot of money by avoiding some big issues there. Well, and you can you can dig a hole for yourself too. If you start mm-hmm. down the road of buying a practice and you start working with a practice broker, you've got to realize they work for the seller of the practice. They have a fiduciary to help the seller capitalize and make as much money as possible. They, they, don't, they don't protect you. They don't work for you. They don't have a relationship with you. And so you need to realize who, who's working for who. Same thing in a real estate transaction. The landlord's objective is to make as much money as possible on the transaction. It has nothing to do with them being a good person or a bad person or you liking them or not liking them their business is real estate. That's how they make a living. And they're not going to voluntarily, you know, reduce lease rates or give you higher concessions just because you ask them. They're going to do the best they can to capitalize. And, and for them, they're trying to capture that extra hundred, two hundred thousand dollars in the deal. And they have a very specific way of doing it. They they negotiate professionally for a living. So it's important to have people on your side. It's important to have a really good attorney on your side a really good real estate advisor on your side. There's other people that are extremely pertinent to each transaction. And if you start with the right team, as you indicated, they will save you a ton of time, but they'll also make sure that you don't make the the most obvious and common mistakes that people uh, typically do when they're not represented. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And I guess I had another question as well. When someone's coming to a healthcare real estate company, should they know I want like this area, I want this many operatories or this much room to like, should they have kind of a vision for themselves? Or is that something that you can also help them figure out what would be right fit? Yeah, that's a great question. If they know those things ahead of time, that's great. But typically uh, we are helping them to figure that out. Typically we're helping them to narrow down to certain types of markets or locations. Uh, We also have the ability to do very detailed competition studies where we can heat map where any uh, competitors are. If you're a general dentist, if you're a specialist, whatever whatever type of, of focus you're gonna have, we can do uh, really detailed demographics with patient mapping and target patient uh, outlines. Who are you going after? What does that look like? Uh, we've got concepts like traffic counts. Uh, do you wanna be in retail or office? Do you wanna lease or do you wanna purchase? There's a lot of things to consider. And so if you know what you want ahead of time, that's fantastic. But typically we're helping to, you know, narrow the the list of requirements down to a short list so that we can be the most focused when we go to the market and start actually looking at options. And then once someone figures out or you all figure out what you're looking for, I was also wondering about how much like cash reserves for whatever you're going to end up getting, should people be, I guess, aiming to have before they get into this process of like looking for a lender and trying to purchase? Well, believe it or not, dentistry is one of the the very few industries where lenders are willing to do 100% financing in a significant number of transactions. They will lend 100% on a practice purchase and acquisition along with working capital, and they will lend 100% on a startup as well in the majority of scenarios. 
they would rather have you keep your cash on hand because it gives you more staying power. There's a really interesting concept here. A lot of lenders with a lot of different types of businesses, they want you to inject your own money into the deal. They say, you know, we want you to have skin in the game. Uh, however, in the, in the world of dentistry, the default rate is so low, whether you're starting a practice from scratch or whether you're purchasing a practice, the default rate is so low and the success rate is so high that the lenders that specialize in, in dental loans, they would rather have you keep your cash on hand, not spend it because if things did get tough, that gives you the ability to get through a tough time. If you have a hundred thousand dollars cash and you put it into the deal and you borrow a little bit less money, they, you know, that, that limits your ability. The lender would rather have you with a payment that costs maybe an extra 500 or a thousand dollars a month, but have a hundred thousand dollars cash and have you have no cash and have your payment be a little bit less per month. So uh, believe it or not, in, in most scenarios, the lenders believe you're going to have a student loan. They believe you're going to have either a rent payment or a mortgage. They believe you're going to have a car payment. They believe you probably have some credit card debt and they are still willing to do 100% financing in most transactions for real estate or for the practice. Well, yeah, that's great to know. I've heard kind of mixed things, but I'm sure that definitely makes a lot of sense because dentists are generally very profitable in the end. Absolutely. So one of the things that you mentioned through your company is one of your big goals is maximizing profitability through real estate. Could you explain a little bit about that and maybe what you offer to do that? Yeah. So uh, there's a couple of ways to look at that. Number one, your location has a huge impact on your practice success. Uh, how patients find you, what their experience is getting to you, what's the parking like, what's the signage, what's their experience when they walk in the building? Are they walking into a class A building? Is it an older rundown property? Who are your neighbors? Who who else is available to help, you know, refer you patients, et cetera? All those things from a physical location perspective have an impact on how patients see you and then also whether they're willing to refer you to their friends and family. So location has a huge impact on your practice success. Um, but specifically talking about the financial aspect, if you're in a space that's, let's say 2,500 square feet, which is a very average size dental office, definitely not, definitely not small, definitely not large right there in the middle. If you have a lease rate and you're overpaying by, let's say $3 a square foot, which would be a, an average amount to overpay by, that's an extra $7,500 you're going to be paying in rent per year that you could have avoided. $3 a foot times 2,500 square feet. If you're in a 10-year lease, which is a very common lease to do if you're buying a practice or starting up, that's $75,000 in excess rent that you could have avoided paying if you knew what you're doing. The next question is, did you capture the free rent you should have, you should have achieved? It's very common to get free rent on startups and on renewals. And typically, if you're doing a 10-year lease, which again is an average length of lease for uh, a dental office, you know, three or four months of free rent is very reasonable. If you miss out on that, there's another fifteen dollars to $25,000 that you left on the table. Then you get into concepts like tenant improvement allowance, annual increases. Can the landlord charge you for certain types of maintenance or is that part of their expenses? And you start getting into all these other economic considerations and you add them up, it's very easy to get to a $100,000, number on, a, on a, you know, an average size dental office in a 10-year period. If you lose that money, you've got to go out there and produce four or five times that amount of money to pay the bill. When you bill a dollar, you don't keep a dollar. So you make a $200,000 mistake on your lease, which happens all the time. 
you got to go produce $800,000 million in revenue just to pay that expense. So when we talk about increasing your profitability or maximizing profitability, the objective is we want to help you be as successful as possible, pay the least you can pay, get the most number of concessions, highest dollars you can, and then that puts more money in your pocket. It means you make more as the owner. It means you can reinvest in greater forms of technology and equipment, hire better staff, uh, locate in a better property. And all those things perpetuate and, and beget in, increased success and increased profitability. And so we look at real estate as a way to help doctors be more successful, be more profitable, have a better practice. And that's the focus. Yeah, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I guess I had a few more questions as well about um, working with a landlord and just figuring out your lease. So the real estate agent, I believe, is there to help negotiate with the landlord for you, correct? That's correct. Okay. So how would we as dentists properly communicate our goals with the agent to ensure that we're getting what we want through the lease? Yeah, that's a great question. The agent, if they are experienced, if they're qualified, and if they are good at what they do, they're going to understand all the different aspects of the negotiation and they're going to educate the dentist ahead of time as to what's available and what you want to focus on. They're going to ask questions about if it's a new office, you know, what type of property do you want to be? Do you want to be in retail or office? Do you want to purchase? Do you want to lease? And they're going to then show you different options to help educate you on what's available to you and, and help you come to the conclusion. When it comes to the economic negotiations, they're going to educate you as well as these are the areas that we can negotiate. And then they're going to tell you, this is what we recommend negotiating at. Here's the terms. And then the doctor says, I like this, change this. Let's focus on this, et cetera. So a good advisor, a good real estate broker's job is to educate the doctor on every area of the transaction that affects them, but they don't take control away from the doctor. The doctor still makes all the decisions. The doctor says yes or no before any offer is submitted. They say yes or no when you're counter negotiating and counter offering the landlord or the listing agent. The doctor stays in full control. It's the real estate broker's job to educate, to advise, and to help make sure that they understand what they're actually doing in the deal. But the doctor makes the final decision on everything. Yeah, that makes sense. And I've heard that landlords are willing to, in a lot of cases, do some upgrades or renovations for you in order to incentivize you to sign a lease with them. That's correct. Yep. Okay. Landlords in commercial real estate are looking for long-term tenants. They do not like to release spaces every six months or a year, and they're not willing to even do short-term leases like that in a lot of scenarios. So they recognize if we want a long-term tenant, we've got to provide concessions to attract them. And concepts like a free build-out period, free rent upon move-in, which offsets startup or moving costs, uh, tenant improvement allowance to help uh, pay for a portion of the renovation or the build-out, those are all factors of a landlord looking for a new tenant, and they're willing to spend a significant amount of money to secure a, a very good long-term tenant like a dentist. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I had another kind of random thought. This is more through experience with residential renting, but is it common that there's ever like limitations on your ability to renovate or do construction, whether that's like retail or office space? Um there's not usually uh, a limitation of renovating a space on the inside, unless it's like a historic property or some concept where 
maybe the landlord themselves are limited, but they know if they're going to rent to a dentist, they understand that you have to do a full renovation. You're going to have to get the waiting room, the exact size and location you want. You have to get a certain number of restrooms, sinks, plumbing lines, uh, I mean, nitrous, whatever you're using, you have to get those lines run and you have to have the proper electrical. So a, a landlord that's going to rent to a dentist understands in most scenarios, they're going to strip the space to the concrete floor and the roof deck, and they're going to build it from scratch. And hence, they also know that's a expensive proposition. So they're looking for a long-term lease to accomplish that. And I guess building off of that, would dentists be looking with healthcare real estate company if they're acquiring an already dental office that's for sale, or is that kind of a different market? You, you still want to have a healthcare real estate broker look okay. at that deal because what's going on is this, you, you've got the seller of the practice that's telling you what they think it's worth, or you have a practice broker that represents the seller of the practice. They have a, a biased opinion. They, they could be close to market. They could be accurate, but they're going to, push for their own favor. I mean, it's no different than if you were selling a house, you would want the highest value possible. If you had a house and it was worth 400,000, but you thought you could sell it for 450 because somebody didn't know better and they'd pay you 450, you would sell it for 450. It, it's no different with a, with a doctor selling a practice or a listing broker. They want the highest value. It doesn't mean you're not going to still buy the property or take a lease with the property but you still want to have an expert real estate advisor that can at least educate you and say, Hey, listen, this is a really good lease rate. Here's why. And you can have confidence in moving forward. Or they might tell you you're going to overpay by a thousand dollars a month. This is a, this is an overpriced space. However, if you want the practice bad enough uh, and it's worth overpaying by 12, 15,000 a year for the lease, then, then that's fine. At least, you know, you're overpaying. And then it gives you a chance to realize, Hey, when the lease comes up for renewal, in five years or seven years or 10 years, let's renegotiate it then when you're in a stronger position to do so, or let's look at buying a building or, or just giving you your options. But it doesn't mean you're not gonna do the transaction, it just means you're gonna go in there educated and then not wonder if you got a good or bad deal. You'll know ahead of time. But last thing on this, a lot of scenarios do allow you to still negotiate on the real estate, even if you're buying a practice or if you're buying a property that's already a dental office or leasing, you still have the ability to negotiate in most scenarios. Yeah, it does make sense. So you would need someone on your side helping advocate for you so you don't get scammed or anything. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, most people uh, are judging landlords by their interactions, like how pleasant are they to talk to? How polite were they during email? You know, Do they accommodate my request to get access to the space? Those things don't really have a lot to do with the actual economics of the deal. That's great if they're pleasant or if they're accommodating, but a lot of landlords are super cordial and respectful because they want you to like them and trust them, but they're going to try to overcharge you at the highest level possible. So it's important to have somebody that is going between you and the landlord to interpret those interactions. But most importantly, they're just going to shoot straight and say, listen, this is above market or, Hey, this is, this is pretty competitive. We don't need to do a whole lot to improve it, but it's good to have somebody go between you and the landlord to interpret what they're actually saying, why they're doing what they're doing, and ultimately to tell you if this is a good deal, an average deal, or a great deal. I also had another thing I was curious about. I know this is going to vary for person to person, but what are some ideals that you see people looking for when they're figuring out what property they're hoping to buy or lease? Um, well, starting with the concept of should you buy or lease, uh, 
doing a, a purchase versus lease analysis is the best way to consider that. You could have a property that looks like it's a lot more expensive to purchase than to lease, but when you factor in the tax deductions like depreciation, mortgage interest write-off, uh, future appreciation, the value going up, and then concepts like principal pay down, you could have a property that looks like it's way more expensive and actually costs you less effectively over 20 years than leasing. So that's a great way to start with, with that. If you're talking about uh, you know, benefits or pros and cons of spaces, you know, depends on the use. People love window lines, they love natural light, and you typically get more natural light in an office space than you do in a retail space. Um, but people like the convenience factor of just pulling up to a retail space, parking and walking into the space versus having to go through, you know, common area hallways, elevators, et cetera. Um, so there's pros and cons of, of window lines and natural light. There's pros and cons of access of just parking and driving up. Um, there's, there's concepts like, do you want to have other healthcare providers in the same building? Or do you want to have other like retail tenants, like a Starbucks or a Chipotle that might get you additional exposure to your practice on a daily basis when those businesses, you know, clients or patrons come and see them. Uh, negotiation wise, you're looking for lease rates, you're looking for tenant improvement allowances, free build out periods, free rent periods upon move in, uh, annual increases, options to renew your lease, options to purchase the property, uh, who pays for what maintenance, who's paying for utilities, who's paying for janitorial, there's all sorts of economic things that are on the table. Uh, so there's there's quite a few things that you're looking at to negotiate. And there's quite a few things from an aesthetics or, or building or space perspective that you want to compare side by side with other top options. Yeah, great. That's very helpful. And I guess building on that, I was also wondering, this is something I guess that's maybe a worry in my head. I can definitely see the benefits of purchasing the property and being able to eventually resell that and not paying a rent to a landlord, but does owning a commercial or real estate space, do you feel like that would add a lot of stress or workload to the individual rather than just leasing? Like, are there a lot more work with taxes and upkeep if you're a property owner? Um, there's some additional items that you definitely have to pay attention to, but they're actually fairly minimal. And once you understand them, they become very easy to manage. Uh, so yes, there, there are definitely things that you have to do on a purchase that you don't have to do on a lease, but there's also a lot of benefits you get on a purchase versus lease. with a purchase. You don't have to renegotiate your lease every five, seven, or 10 years and deal with the ups and downs of landlords, et cetera. If there is an issue with your property, you can just decide to fix it or upgrade it versus having to deal with landlords or property managers that might not be responsive or that might not take care of you the way that you want to be taken care of. Um, but when it comes to actually, you know, maintaining or managing a commercial property, uh, typically, you know, tax payments, you can pay those once a year or you split it up. You can pay that with your mortgage if your lender will let you. You're going to have insurance uh, internally on your internal contents and in space, no matter what. You just have another policy for the actual building itself. So that's pretty simple. Um, so I, I would say for the most part, owning owning commercial real estate is is not really any harder than per, than leasing. It takes a little bit more work up front to get the loan and to go through the appraisal process and then a couple other steps. But, you know, it's well worth it if after 20 years you have an additional asset that could be worth a million or two million dollars, depending on the value of the real estate. Uh, that's a highly desirable position to be in if that makes sense for your practice. I actually have two final questions before we wrap up. One of them just popped into my head while we were talking, I guess, about real estate 
and value appreciating and everything. Would you say that it's smart for dentists when they're graduating, figuring out where they want to go, where they want to open up a practice to be looking at like cities and like downtown areas that are growing? Or do you think it's better to look in more rural areas that just have a lack of providers around? Well, that's a really good question. I, to me personally, I think people uh, should look from a professional standpoint where they want to live personally. I think it's great to look for the best opportunity, but if you're ultimately not going to be satisfied or happy there or not going to have the same quality of life that you would have in a certain area, um, I would I would push first and foremost to what's the state or what's the market or city that I feel the most comfortable in where I want to live long-term, where if you have a spouse or a family where you're going to want to raise the family, et cetera, I would look for where you want to live personally and then look for the best opportunity professionally from there. Uh, A lot of people will do it the other way. They'll go for the best opportunity professionally and that's great. But the question is, let's say you make more money there, you're more successful, but you don't enjoy your lifestyle as much. It's not the area that you're as excited to be in. Uh, it doesn't have the, the needs that you want personally or family-wise or whatever. Uh, most people, I think, would say, I'll take a little bit less money to have a better lifestyle and a better environment for myself personally or family than I would take the trade-off of a little bit more money. Yeah, I totally agree with that. I was just curious to hear your input as well. And I do have one last question. It could potentially be a long one, but what are some common pitfalls or complications that you see new grads running into with real estate? That's a great question. Uh, and yes, I could, <laughs> I could hit that one for a long time. I'll try to keep <laughs> it to a, a few of the most common mistakes that we see uh, newer grads make. And honestly, the mistakes that new grads make are the same ones that seasoned savvy dentists make as well. It's the, the, the same mistakes you see people falling into. Uh, the first mistake people make is they, they take the do-it-yourself mentality. They say, hey, I'm a, I'm, I'm a smart person. I'm a go-getter. I'm just going to do it myself. And the problem is you're not going to get the same respect from the landlord, from the listing agent, from the people that are involved. They, they know that they don't care how educated you are clinically or academically. They know that you're not a commercial real estate expert and it's going to cost you a significant amount of money. They're smart enough to give you a margin to where you can negotiate and feel like you improve the deal. Meanwhile, you lost a significant amount of money. So do-it-yourself mentality is a, is, a, is, a, is a big mistake for a lot of doctors. Additionally, you start losing you know, dozens of hours of your viable time that should have been spent practicing, focused on some other area, or just not wasting time doing something that you're not qualified to do. So uh, losing money in that scenario, losing time, that's a big one. Another common mistake people make is they talk to their their friends, their colleagues, and their peers. They say, well, what, what did you get in your deal? Or what did you achieve? And oftentimes the person they're talking to didn't get great terms. And so they start creating a benchmark of what they should be going for based upon a, a really average or below average negotiation. Uh, or they'll start comparing you know, apples with oranges. They'll say, well, you know, my friend who's in Iowa got this lease rate, but I'm in Orange County, Los Angeles, and they're charging way higher. Well, of course, it's a different market. So you, you can't compare Iowa to California. It's not the same. So you, using your colleagues and peers as a benchmark, you can do that, but that's typically not a good way to do it unless you are 100% convinced that that colleague or peer got the best terms they could have ever possibly asked for. Uh, another one that's a big mistake is 
doctors don't time their transactions properly. They, they start way too far in advance and they lose the ability to leverage the opportunity or they're late to the game and they have virtually no time to get things worked out and they're at the mercy of the landlord or listing agent at that time. If you don't have time to do the transaction, if you don't have time to move it, if you don't have time to do your due diligence, you're gonna take inferior terms as a trade-off and it's usually very expensive. And then I guess the last thing I'd say is there's a misconception with people with commercial real estate. Uh, they think they're going to save money by not hiring a broker. And that is not true. If you were the owner of the property getting ready to sell it and you wanted to do a for sale by owner where you sold it yourself and you only paid one commission to the buyer's agent, you could do that. But when you're operating as a dentist in a transaction, you're either going to be a buyer or a tenant. In that scenario, you're not determining the commission structure that's paid. You're not gonna save money without a broker. In commercial real estate, it's just like residential real estate. The, the landlord or the seller pays the commission. They determine ahead of time what commissions are gonna get paid. And when someone's selling a house, they hire an agent, they agree to pay their agent and they offer a commission to the buyer's agent. If the buyer doesn't have an agent, the listing agent gets a double commission. So. In residential real estate, a buyer would never pay their agent because they know the listing agent is going to split the commission with them. It's the same in commercial real estate, whether it's a purchase or it's a lease. The landlord or the seller determines the commission structure. They agree to pay their agent and they have a commission set aside for the buyer or tenant's agent as well. If the doctor goes into a deal by themselves, they don't save a dime. The listing agent just takes the whole commission. So the idea of, well, I'm going to save some money and do it myself, again, it's completely incorrect on top of the doctor then wastes, you know, 40, 50 hours of their valuable time. And then they take home an inferior negotiation and, and by default end up paying a ton more. So the, the idea of I'm going to save money without using an agent, or I'm going to save time. Both of those are, are incorrect statements. Wow. Yeah. There was a lot of that. That was news to me. So I really appreciate you sharing everything and everything today has been so insightful. I do really appreciate it. I did just want to give you the opportunity if you have any final thoughts for our listeners, any final advice, you can share that now if you'd like. Yeah, the advice that I would give is treat the commercial real estate transaction with the respect that it's due. Uh, you don't have to make it more than it is, but certainly don't make it less. When it comes time to purchase a practice or to do a startup, or if you're working into an associateship that has a chance to purchase in the future, engage a real estate expert that focuses on healthcare real estate that's only going to work on your side of the transaction. The agent cannot work for the landlord or the seller. They can only work on one side of the transaction to have no conflicts of interest and to give you an unbiased opinion. And, and let that person advise you, let that person educate you and, and let them create a strategy for you to understand multiple options, understand what other properties would do for you, understand the difference between office versus retail, purchase versus lease, et cetera. And then they will give you the information, the market data, and they'll put you in a position that you can choose the property that best fits your requirement with the terms that are the most advantageous for you. And they'll position you to win in the transaction at the highest level, which will result in increased profitability. That's awesome. And again, if anyone has any more questions or wants to reach out, reach out to you at all, what's the best way for them to do that? Yeah, the best way to reach us is uh, through our website and that's okay. car.us. 
C-A-R-R.us. In the upper right-hand corner of our website, you can click to find an agent. So whatever city or state you're in, we have agents in, in 40 some states across the country. We have market experts that understand the landscape, the economies, et cetera. You can start there. We also have a free lease evaluation. If you are getting ready to, to do a lease renewal or purchase a practice and you wanna know how those terms compare to the current market, we can do a detailed analysis for completely free for you. And we'll tell you, this is a good, again, a good average, below average or excellent deal. And then we'll tell you where you can capitalize on it. It's an analysis that says, this is what you need to pay attention to. And then uh, last, we've got a tremendous amount of resources on our website under a resources tab, um, commercial real estate, glossary, FAQs, dozens of educational articles, dozens of videos. And if you wanna get more educated in the realm of commercial real estate for a healthcare provider, uh, we've got more resources than you could possibly imagine. And we can position you to do the best you can on your next transaction. That's so great. I'm definitely personally going to be checking out that resources tab. So I'm appreciative of everything today. I just want to thank you so much again for your time. It's been great being here. Thank you. Alrighty, that is the end of this week's episode. I want to thank you so, so much for listening today and remind you that next week we'll be back with another episode on Monday. We're going to have Stephen Ray, another dental student, talking about his experience at dental school in Tennessee, how their curriculum kind of differs from mine, and just some of his general advice for pre-dental students and how his dental school experience has been so far. And in addition to that, I did also just want to quickly remind you about our Dental Download Podcast Facebook group for dental students and pre-dental students, and also the Instagram page, which is open for anyone to follow. It's just at Dental Download Podcast. That is the best way to be reminded of episodes, get the link to listen to episodes, and give your feedback and questions. If I'm ever recording solo episodes about dental school or about a specific topic that you all request, that is the best place to do that on Instagram at Dental Download Podcast. And if you want to follow my own personal dental school journey, I pretty much post Instagram stories most days of dental school. It's just at Haley Schultz Dental over on Instagram. That is everything for this week's episode, so I will talk to you next Monday.